Let's get Thursday going here on the Rural Radio Network and the Midday Program. We don't want to spend too much time gabbing here because we have to go on location. And today we get to play Where's Susan once again. And so where where are you, Miss Littlefield? I am actually in Columbus. That Brothers has their big opening of their Columbus Biodiesel Blending Facility. So we are here for a reception and to learn more about the importance of biodiesel and what it means not only to Nebraska. So to those folks who drive those diesel pickups and semis, it's a great opportunity for them to have another option when it comes to putting fuel in their vehicle. It's been a biodiesel bonanza here this week lately. Looks like the spread is on and everybody's getting the message. Very much so. So we encourage folks, if you don't have it, ask for it. And if they're listening, you'll get it. How's that sound? That sounds like a deal to me. What's the ag team working on for you today, Susan? Well, coming up at 1219, we're going to address the water scarcity with some irrigation technology that is out there. Then at 1245, Greg Anderson, who's a soybean producer from Newman Grove, joins us talking about this blending terminal and what it means not only to him as a soybean producer, but to the consumer as well. Jump to 117. The Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation will get more details on that from Bryce. So another busy day as we're all out and about uh, covering what's happening in ag. Very good. Thanks, Susan. We'll uh, catch you yeah. later live from Columbus. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Jason Jorgensen has the sports look for us today. Big Ten baseball tournament has moved into the second day. Of course, uh, they've hosted that before in Omaha and had to work around some showers and cool temperatures. Not not the case this time around, is it? Decent day yesterday for all four games. Right now, Iowa trails Ohio State 2-1, to one, so the uh, defending champs are in danger right now, going 0-2 and, and being knocked out of the tournament. We'll give you the rest of the rundown for today. Also, we will recap the State Boys Golf Tournaments yesterday. There were some familiar faces who were able to win titles. Of course, uh, keep those names in mind. You never know down the, down the road when you might see those guys playing with certainly some talented youngsters across the state of Nebraska. And the NBA playoffs continue on. Cleveland, they lost last night to Boston. Celtics lead that 3-2. to two. And then, interesting matchup tonight back in Houston. Pivotal Game 5 as the Rockets will take on Golden State with that series tied at two games apiece. See, I, I saw him. He, he had his sports terminology uh, <laughs> That's right. guidebook out. I mean, when is a Game 5 not pivotal? That's when right. it's 2-2. Two, two. <laughs> That's right. It's a Game 5 after all. <laughs> That's right. right? That's right. I mean, it means one thing or the other is going to happen. <laughs> all right. Thank you very much, Jason. And Scott uh, Foster standing here with business stuff. I know. Who better? You, you really? are standing, right? Well, no. At least that's, compared to uh, me, you look compared like Compared to standing. you, I might, be, but I might be up there a little bit. But yeah. Hey, stocks are down a little bit today. And uh, <laughs> down 169 points after uh, the uh, news that uh, the it's not going to happen. The meeting's just not going to happen between uh, Mr. Trump and so, Mr. Un or Mr. Kim. The lovely, the lovely getaway to uh, what were they? Gonna Singapore, think? I Singapore, believe. Yeah, yeah, it's beautiful this not time of year. Not going to take place. That's not happening. <laughs> uh, also, good news: OPEC might start producing a little more oil, so we could see gas prices take a bit of a break. But uh, not so good for Exxon Mobil as they're down two point three percent. Housing starts down a little bit right now too. So we're going to explore all of that stuff as we get there but uh, also by the way car companies have fallen a little bit toyota's down 1.8 percent as uh you know hey you know the trump administration brings yeah. some tariffs maybe there well, you know imagine all the imagine what we're giving up here imagine the stories that could be told from a cocktail with kim jong-un oh absolutely yeah. this is midday on the rural radio network Oh, 
I want so bad to introduce him as the Harbinger <laughs> of Doom, but I'm going to restrain myself and not do that for Paul Perkins, who's here with our regional ag weather, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation. And the situation has shifted a bit. Yes, ex- exactly. Originally, they were talking uh, the greatest severe threat going to be in much of southern Nebraska to northern Kansas. Now it's more towards central, all of central Nebraska into west and central Kansas, uh, the greatest potential of some severe weather later today and tonight, especially tonight into the evening hours here. So it kind of gets brewing in the high plains about 6, and then by dark they're talking about it spreading upwards, right? Yeah, exactly. Probably could see a couple of ways, some thunderstorms moving in initially, and then maybe some more thunderstorms to develop after dark in western Kansas and they move northeast through the evening. But a lot of it should be done by about midnight in most of our area. So. The usual hail, wind, that kind of thing? Exactly, yeah. Maybe some golf ball-sized hail and some damaging winds. Right now they're not mentioning too much in the way of a tornado threat with this system. Right. So. Very good. But otherwise, we are warm and dry in advance of this system. Temperatures in most of the area right now in the upper 70s to low 80s, much of the 80s into eastern Nebraska and Kansas. Some low and mid-70s still over north-central and west-central Nebraska into the panhandle, but most of us once again right around 80 currently. Warm and dry for today as that area of low pressure and a cold front approach. Thunderstorms will start late this afternoon over the high plains, then they'll start to increase in coverage by this evening as low pressure and the cold front move to the east. After dark, we could see more storms develop over western Kansas and move towards the northeast. Those storms could be severe in any portion of the area today, but it looks like that highest severe threat in central Nebraska into west and central Kansas, or basically from about O'Neill to Norfolk in the northern part of Nebraska. Right along I-80 in central Nebraska, we are looking at anywhere from North Platte to Grand Island at Aurora for the severe threat over south-central Kansas or south-central Nebraska. McCook to about Franklin. And then as you head into Kansas, Goodland to Russell. In any of those areas, that slight risk of severe storms is in effect. But once again, just think, figure central Nebraska into west and central Kansas for the greatest severe threat. But everybody could see some severe weather. The main storm hazards will include some golf ball-sized hail and damaging winds. That best time for severe weather looks to be 6 this evening to about midnight. The storms then move out overnight. The weather dries out for tomorrow, and the heat turns on for the weekend as we see a ridge of high pressure move overhead. The chances for thunderstorms return by Sunday evening and continue through the middle of next week as that ridge moves to the east and low pressure moves into the Rockies. Temperatures will cool slightly early next week, but will continue to be warmer than normal. In our long term, temperatures remain warmer than normal for Nebraska and Kansas. Tuesday through the first six days of June doesn't look like that heat going to go away anytime soon. Despite that warm air, though, the chances of rain are in the forecast. The forecast starts with Near normal to above normal for rainfall the middle of next week in both Nebraska and Kansas. That forecast trending, though, near normal to drier than normal for rainfall late next week through June 6th. Soil temperatures this morning at 7 at the 4-inch depth, as cool as the mid-upper 50s in the Panhandle. West-central and north-central Nebraska soil temperatures in the low 60s. Otherwise, if you're south and east of a line from Norfolk to Kearney and Goodland, those soil temperatures on the warm side in the mid to upper 60s. Encouraging numbers in the latest regional drought monitor, 81% of Nebraska is drought-free, and that is an improvement over last week. It's abnormally dry still to a moderate drought southeast of a line from Omaha to York and Franklin and also around the McCook area. 8% of Kansas is drought-free. That's a very slight improvement. That drought-free area in Kansas includes the northwest and southeast corners. 
Much of the northern two-tier of Kansas counties and the east are abnormally dry to a moderate drought. The extreme and exceptional drought area is smaller now. Along and south of I-70 and the south central have a severe drought. It's still extreme and exceptional drought in the southwest part of Kansas and around Marion and McPherson down to Anthony. Weather factors for the markets include dry conditions in the west and central Midwest and very little rain indicated for central Brazil. Dryness is an increasing concern for the west and central Midwest right now, and that's being enhanced by the current well above normal temperatures. The north and northwest Midwest have moderate to locally heavy rain in their forecast, which will remain and will maintain the favorable conditions for early crop development. Brazil crop areas remain dry with very little rain expected over the next seven days, and more losses for the second corn crop will continue for them. All right, and your ag weather, of course, brought to you by Holdridge Irrigation, your Ranky dealer. And uh, tonight, uh, undoubtedly, we'll be bringing you some storm center coverage, which is brought to you by Skeeter Barnes, the best beef and barbecue around. Locations in Kearney and Columbus and by American Family Insurance serving Lexington and Kearney. So we should look for things that once we see that start to sprout up uh, in uh, western Kansas and down in southwest Nebraska, that's probably just the beginning. You know? Exactly, yeah. We could see a couple of waves maybe late this afternoon and then maybe after dark another wave because some uh, storm energy will be maintained for the overnight hours into probably about midnight for the greatest severe threat. All right. Thanks, Paul. I think when you need weather anytime. <laughs> KRVN.com. Nebraska Department of Agriculture Director Steve Wellman has wrapped up his first trade mission as director. I'm Shaley Peters joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. Let's take a midday look at that ag news. Wellman was a part of a U.S. Department of Agriculture trade mission to southern China that wraps up today. The trade mission trip led by USDA Undersecretary for Trade and Foreign Agricultural Affairs Ted McKinney includes government ag leaders and representatives from many agribusiness companies and organizations. In a press call this morning, Wellman talked about the upcoming one-year anniversary of China opening their doors again to U.S. beef and said it certainly has been a highlight of the trip. I'll just say one of the bright spots we talked about certainly has been the beef exports that began in June, and Nebraska's played a big part of that. We met with some representatives of Sam's Club, and they feature a Nebraska beef in their showcase, and really uh, would like to have more Nebraska beef available because they tend to run out. One of their products they usually have that offered two days out of the week before they they get a, another supply in. So certainly seems to be in demand here, and I think it's a great opportunity for Nebraska beef to grow our market share here in China. However, Wellman noted there are still plenty of obstacles to get over. There still are is a lot of restrictions from the type of beef that is can be exported into China. They do not allow any processed meats at all. And there's also some restrictions on where the beef is, uh, has, how it was grown and that type of thing. But. Wellman said that China has outlined three priorities, economic growth, food security and safety, and reduction of pollution, which he believes points to opportunities for Nebraska agriculture. 
And yesterday, a bipartisan group of senators led by Nebraska Senator Ben Sass introduced legislation aimed at providing much-needed flexibility to federal hours of service regulations for livestock haulers. Many of the ideas contained in the bill were first proposed by Nebraska Cattlemen's Transportation Task Force. The group identified a variety of solutions in the wake of the U.S. Department of Transportation's electronic logging device enforcement date, which revealed incompatibilities between federal HOS regulations and livestock. Stock haulers. SAS noted that this bill will be beneficial to all parties involved. Nebraska's economy runs on agriculture, and our ranchers and haulers are the professionals who make the well-being of livestock their top priority, and that obviously includes safe transportation. The Department of Transportation's current regulations endanger livestock during hot summers and cold winters, causing significant stress on the animals and concern for our drivers. This bipartisan bill is good for our ranchers, good for our haulers, and good for our livestock. Senator Sass's Transporting Livestock Across America Safely Act would change federal law to accomplish the following. Provides that HOS and ELD requirements are inapplicable until after a driver travels more than 300 air miles from their source. Drive time for HOS purposes does not start until after the 300 air mile threshold. Exempts loading and unloading times from the HOS calculation of driving time. Extends the HOS on-duty time maximum hour requirement from 11 hours to a minimum of 15 hours and a maximum of 18 hours of on-duty time. Grants flexibility for drivers to rest at any point during their trip without counting against HOS time. Allows drivers to complete their trip regardless of HOS requirements if they come within 150 air miles of their delivery point. And after the driver completes their delivery and the truck is unloaded, the driver will take a break for a period that is five hours less than the maximum on-duty time. That's a midday look at Ag News. You're listening to the Rural Radio Network. The Foundation for Food and Agriculture Research awarded $5 million to launch research efforts to address water scarcity with irrigation technology. And the Water for Food and Global Institute at the University of Nebraska is one of 10 organizations in the nation to participate in the research efforts. Good afternoon. I'm Alex Wojcicki joining you now on the Rural Radio Network. And in the Nebraska Soybean Board studio today with me is Dr. Christopher Neal, Director of Research from the Dougherty Water for Food Global Institute. I'll just begin by asking, what is the Institute currently doing to address water scarcity with irrigation technology? Well, I mean, we have several themes uh, within the Institute, uh, several main focus areas, right? One is uh, on closing the agricultural uh, and water productivity gaps. So in many regions of the world, the full potential of yield and productivity is not attained for several reasons, soils, seed quality, climate, stress, and so forth. And so uh, one of our focus areas addresses that, how to close those gaps. Our second uh, focus area is in uh, groundwater governance and groundwater management which is Nebraska Forte, where uh, we have a successful system of water governance through the Natural Resource District system. And uh, that's a system that is exportable. I mean, people in other places of the world are interested in learning about it and how they can adapt it to manage their groundwater resources successfully and sustainably. 
A third area of focus is in high productivity agriculture with irrigation, and we're not tied to any particular technology, but we work with drip irrigation and center pivot irrigation. Obviously, Nebraska is uh, heavily irrigated with center pivot systems, uh, but we work uh, with all types of systems. Um, and then the fourth area of our uh, focus in the Institute is in the public health, uh, water quality um the impact of agriculture on health. And we do a lot of uh, joint work with colleagues in uh, not only in the Nebraska Water Center, but also in the College of Public Health at the University of Nebraska Medical Center. And so then within those four categories that you mentioned, are there any day-to-day solutions that emphasize improving water and food security? A lot of uh, irrigation systems are pretty sophisticated these days. Uh, I think the an area where a lot of strides can be made is in the harvesting of data that's collected uh, through soil water content sensors, through uh, weather data variables, through uh, application rates, through the pivots, through measuring uh, water uh, at all different levels in an irrigation system, through uh, satellite and uh, airborne and UAV remote sensing, and using that information to uh, manage uh, the crops and estimate the water use of crops and so forth. So when you bring all this together into uh, models and provide the information to the farmers, hopefully they will be able to manage their system better and improve uh, water use efficiency. So I think that's one of the focus areas of the irrigation consortium that I'm particularly uh, interested in working on. Well, irrigation in general is always a popular topic in Nebraska, especially as we near the summer months. And so We thank you for joining us with that information. Again, that's been Dr. Christopher Neal, Director of Research from the Nebraska Water for Food Institute, discussing irrigation, innovation, and technology. Broadcasting from the Nebraska Soybean Board News Desk, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska soybean farmers and their checkoff, you're listening to the Rural Radio Network. It's midday on the Rural Radio Network, and it's time for us to check in on sports with Jason Jorgensen. Hey, thanks, Dirk. Well, the second day of the Big Ten Baseball Tournament is underway in Omaha, and the defending champion has been knocked out as Iowa. Goes 0-2 in this year's tournament, losing today to Ohio State 2 to nothing. The next game also is an elimination matchup is Indiana battles Michigan State. The NSAA State High School Golf Tournament's wrapped up yesterday. In Class A, Norfolk's Luke Kluver was the champ. He also helped Norfolk to the state title. In Class B, Aurora's Caleb Berdura won another state title. Boy, it's been the year of the uh, York Dukes as uh, they took the team championship. In Class C, Chase Largan of Creighton was the champ. Grand Island Central Catholic, they were able to claim the team title. And in Class D, the state champ is Ryan Weiss of Franklin. Westholt claimed the team title. Well, Chicago White Sox catcher Wellington Castillo has been suspended for 80 games by Major League Baseball following a positive test for performance-enhancing drugs. The commissioner's office said he tested positive for a hormone that stimulates red blood cell production. Now, this often shows up in test results for cyclists. He is the eighth player suspended this year under the Major League Drug Testing Program. He's in his ninth year in the league. The Dominican was hitting 267 with six homers and 15 RBIs for a team that has really struggled as the White Sox are just 15-31 and 31 on the year. The latest travel trouble for the Yankees has delayed their return home from Texas. Newsday reports the team's charter Delta flight took off after last night's loss to the Rangers, but then had to return to the Dallas-Fort Worth airport because of a mechanical problem. 
The flight resumed early this morning. Now, it was just last week that the Yankees spent a night at Dulles Airport outside Washington because of mechanical problems, rough weather, and flight crew work rules. Well, Houston has a chance to take their first lead in the Western Conference Finals with a home court victory tonight against Golden State. The Rockets tied the series up on Tuesday with a 95-92 win in Game 4. That snapped Golden State's NBA record 16-game home playoff winning streak. And that was after they'd been blown out in Game 3 when they lost by 41 points. And President Donald Trump says the NFL is doing the right thing with a new policy banning kneeling during the National Anthem. That policy forbids players from sitting or taking a knee on the field during the anthem, but allows them to stay in the locker room. This morning, Trump was on Fox and Friends. You have to stand proudly for the national anthem. Well, you shouldn't be playing. You shouldn't be there. Maybe you shouldn't be in the country. Of course, Trump had been an outspoken critic of NFL players who had done this the last couple of years. Chances are this story isn't done yet. That's a look at sports. Have a great day. I'm Jason Jorgensen. Stay tuned. More Midday is just ahead. You are listening to the Rural Radio Network. Mostly sunny today with a high near 88. There is a 30% chance of showers and thunderstorms mainly before 10 p.m. and partly cloudy with a low of around 59 tonight. For Friday, sunny with a high near 90. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. Each year, Mothers Against Drunk Driving in Nebraska holds their Hero Award Ceremony, honoring those in law enforcement, probation, prosecutors, community partners, and volunteers in eight different categories who have gone above and beyond their work to keep Nebraska safe. Program specialist Amanda Miller talks about why it's so important to recognize law enforcement. The first part of the campaign to eliminate drunk driving is to support our law enforcement heroes because we at MAD can't pull somebody off the road for driving under the influence. Only law enforcement can do that. They save lives each and every day. So it's up to us to recognize and support them in the efforts they're doing because they take on great personal risk when they're pulling over those DUI stops. They're putting themselves in courtrooms and they're dealing with mounds of paperwork just to get one drunk driver off the road. But it's so vitally important and they save lives each and every day. Among those recognized were Sergeant Rob Jensen of the O'Neill Police Department, Brianna Anderson of the Platte County Attorney's Office, and McCook Police Officer Kyle Rappel, who in 2017 arrested more than 90 people for DUI and achieved a 100% conviction rate. Bill Primrose has been delivering letters from across the state to leaders in Lincoln with a motorcycle group called the Pony Express for several years. Primrose talks about the letters which advocate for children. It's just general information that we're asking for the legislature and for the governor to throw support behind uh, mental health uh, issues or legislation that comes before the unicamera. And so we can actually get the kids some help. Uh, that's one of the, seems like to me, it's one of the first uh, fundings that get cut is in the mental health is yep. industry. And it should be the very last. Primos and his gang were in Gothenburg on Friday to pick up letters urging Governor Pete Ricketts to not cut money to programs such as CASA. The Nebraska Secretary of State announced earlier this week that the Libertarian Party in the state continues to grow. Mike Knievel is the director of the party in Nebraska. He gives his thoughts about why this is the case. I'd say the main reason that's taking place is that people are becoming more aware of us across the state. And they are growing tired of the uh, factionalization of the other two parties. They, they, they feel that the old parties are moving away from them, and the Libertarian Party represents 
you know, Nebraska values, and it represents, uh, you know, a common-sense approach to uh, smaller government and uh, more uh, personal freedom. For more information on the Libertarian Party in Nebraska, you can go to lpne.org. Storm Center coverage, always live and local. Catch it on air, on Twitter, Facebook, and online at krvn.com. From the KRVN News Center, I'm Scott Foster. A new source for fuel. Good afternoon, I'm Susan Littlefield on the Rural Radio Network. Earlier today, Sap Brothers outside of Columbus opened a new biodiesel blending terminal. I caught up with Greg Anderson, who is a Nebraska soybean producer, a part of the soybean board, and he works very hard at promoting a crop that he grows that turns into fuel. That's right, Susan. Sap Brothers will celebrate the opening of their new biodiesel blending terminal near Columbus. We're really excited. That's going to be located eight miles from the Columbus New Star Terminal. And what this will do is really make biodiesel more readily available for farmers, for fuel suppliers, for fleets, for trucking industry. Uh, those who want to use biodiesel have maybe wanted to use biodiesel for quite some time, but just didn't have the availability that, uh, that they needed. And now what can happen is fuel suppliers can, can just come to Sap Brothers Terminal, load biodiesel at whatever desired blend level they want, whether it be 5%, 10%, 20%, we call that B5, B10, B20. And uh, they will actually have 24 hours a day, seven days a week access and loading upon approval. So that shows that uh, Sap Brothers is committed to getting biodiesel out there and promoting it and getting everybody to use it. Well, it just shows a great opportunity for consumers to be able to utilize it at maybe one of their local filling stations then. Absolutely. Uh, We've always uh, used the slogan, uh, biodiesel, use it, and ask your fuel supplier for it. And now, uh, with the addition of the Sap Book Brothers uh, blending terminal, uh, this will actually be a great opportunity for folks around this immediate area to ask their fuel supplier for it because now it's it's easily uh, obtainable and and then uh, getting into all these communities we're really excited about that I know as a soybean farmer and member of the Nebraska soybean board uh, we're very excited about the fact that the biodiesel will be sourced from soybean oil uh, soybean oil feedstock and it will be BQ 9000 uh, quality approved that assures a high-quality biodiesel, the highest standard available in the whole United States. And with that success, the integrity and the quality of the fuel, as well as the readiness of availability, uh, we see the biodiesel market in this part of the state continuing to grow. And what about the economic impact it has, not only in the community of Columbus, but the state of Nebraska as a whole? Well, you think about that, and... For one, economic impact, it will affect every, every soybean farmer's uh, profitability. And we have done a study that shows that biodiesel returns 63 cents per bushel to every bushel that soybean farmers grow just because of the increased value and the demand created for biodiesel for soybean oil. We're crushing nearly one-third of our domestic crush now is used for a biodiesel for the soybean oil part of the the, the bean, and and that's a great Im- economic impact that will really affect all Nebraska farmers. Secondly, just think about all of the jobs that this will now create. Um, you have uh, truckers, you have retailers, 
you have fuel suppliers who have a new product to sell. And then uh, I think, too, of the uh, of just the overwhelming uh, economic benefits this brings to our whole country. We're diversifying our energy supply. We are uh, showing that we can lessen our dependence on foreign oil, and we can promote, uh, you know, readily uh, grown uh, renewable fuels right here within our own country, especially in the heartland of America, and that's that's really exciting. So why do you use biodiesel? Well, I use biodiesel for many reasons. Um, probably the, the reason that I first started using it was when they removed sulfur out of the diesel fuel, practically removed it. It went from 500 parts per million allowable to only 15. That made it a very dry burning fuel. Uh, it did clean up the air, however, the lubricity became a, a factor. And engines, uh, diesel engines are uh, very expensive to maintain, and if you don't have that lubricating agent, um, they can easily break down over the long haul. So what I started using it for at a, a lower blend, like a 2 to 5% blend, is, is uh, because of the increased lubricity that uh, biodiesel made out of soybean oil provides. And, and since then, I've seen also because of the fact that it has a higher cetane uh, rating than your petroleum diesel, it certainly is compatible with diesel engines and equipment. There are no modifications uh, needed. And that's why I think it's uh, really grown in popularity, Susan. Uh, people don't have to uh, be uh, concerned about switching over to biodiesel. They can put it in at a, at, a, at a blend level that shows that there's no engine modifications. They can put it in their tank and go. And we've seen that become, you know, really increased popularity, especially with those with pickup trucks or uh, diesel trucks uh, moving. Um, diesel moves America, uh, really, and now biodiesel is helping to move America even farther. So all they have to do is ask where they buy their fuel, if, especially if they've got a diesel pickup, to say, why aren't you offering biodiesel to me? Absolutely. Yep, that's what we encourage people to do. And, and I'm amazed uh, after a while... You know, those fuel suppliers or those retailers do listen to their customers. If a customer wants something, you know, customer is number one. They've asked. There's more options at the pump. I'm Susan Littlefield with Greg Anderson, the Rural Radio Network. Let's get a review of the livestock futures trade. Comments from Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. Joe? Yeah, kind of a uh, study in contrast once again today. We had cattle have a late uh, sell-off, and uh, the hogs have a late rally. Uh, so we had cattle closing lower and uh, hogs closing higher. Uh, it was a pretty slow day. We do have a cattle on feed report tomorrow. We haven't, I haven't heard of any significant trade. Uh, just a few cattle traded, but it was at lower money again. But it certainly not enough to uh, call a secure market in uh, uh cutouts came out at, at, at noon and uh, that uh, was a little disappointing because they were uh, sharply lower on the choice and uh, that's when uh, we started just kind of fade away and then here in the last uh, oh, I'd say 20 minutes, half hour, 20 minutes <clears throat> we really uh, sold off and we had some triple digit losses out of the uh, front end of the cattle um, so it kind of spilled over into the feeders late too the uh, May contract went off at noon today. It was a dollar fifty higher. The rest started to uh, fade and uh, finish lower. So, uh, very interesting trade. We do have, a, like I said, a cattle on feed report tomorrow, and they're looking for five uh, percent more on feed, nine percent less placements than a year ago, 
and marketing is to be about 6% greater than a year ago. So we'll see. That will set the tone uh, tomorrow. Over in the hogs, like I say, we started out lower. Cash came in a little bit better. Cutouts holding uh, pretty steady, and that brought a rally uh, late in the session. Thanks, Joe. Joe Teal, Great Plains Commodities. This is the Rural Radio Network. We often hear about the importance of sharing agriculture's story with those who are not involved in the industry. A program which has been around for numerous years can help make that job a little easier. On the Rural Radio Network, I'm Bryce Duskate reporting. The Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation facilitates the Ag Pen Pal program, which partners a classroom with a farmer or rancher in the state. Over the course of a school year, the two interact back and forth using letters, Skype, or other technology. Courtney Shard is the Director of Outreach Education for the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation. This program turns 27 this year, um, so it's been around for a long time and a way for farmers to share their stories. It's the Ag Pen Pal program, if I have that name correct, and it's a way for a farmer to partner up with a classroom here in Nebraska? Yes. So what happens is, is um, the foundation matches a farmer or a rancher with a classroom in the state of Nebraska. The classroom can be anywhere from preschool until eighth grade, um, but they exchange letters throughout the year and just learn about what farming is like, um, but also for farmers to learn you know, what communities are like and what kids know about agriculture. Now, for the most part, of course, the farmers are going to be in the more uh, rural parts. Are the classrooms more urban or rural or a little bit of mix of both? There's a pretty good mix of both. Um, today, kids are at least three generations removed from the family farm, and so even our rural students that we think are rural don't have a complete understanding of what's happening in their communities. That's a really good point. I wasn't thinking of even that rural area needing that, that agriculture uh, lesson. Talk about the different letters that are sent. Are they strategically placed uh, around the harvest time and planting seasons or just kind of throughout the whole year? They're um, both. So they are sent in December, um, September, and April. So um, kind of around those seasons that farmers have and so kids can see what's happening. Mm -hmm. And so they'll write those letters and then the classroom will write back asking questions, kind of following up? They do, yeah. And I think the coolest part is that um, the pictures that are sent between both the classroom and the farmer. So you can send pictures and videos of your farm, but then the classroom's going to send you back, you know, that they celebrated Dr. Seuss's birthday <laughs> and just seeing, you know, how those tie together. Yeah, keep it nice and lighthearted. That sounds like a, a great opportunity for farmers to kind of share their story of what's going on. This is a, a growing program. You've been with the foundation for four years now. You mentioned this has been around for quite some time, though. Talk about how many classrooms and farmers are, are signing up for this each year. Yeah, so there are 266 matches in the program right now but that number continues to climb um, we are really looking for farmers that want to engage with classrooms um, it's as easy as sending an email you know to engage with these classrooms so between now and August 1st we hope to grow the matches to 300 um, and we need farmers to fill that space yeah. so if farmers are interested in getting involved with this program where can they learn more information so they should visit www.nefbfoundation.org. Very good. What about the classrooms? Same kind of procedure. If they're interested, are you still accepting applications for them? Absolutely, yeah. They can sign up online as well at the same website. Um, you know, farmers are open to this, elementary classrooms, but also FFA chapters. It's a good service project to participate in. Yeah. We'll give you the final word. Anything else you want to add on this topic? You know, Ag Pen Pals are so important. It really gives us the chance to showcase Nebraska agriculture, but also 
also to develop a trusting relationship with a farmer um, and where food comes from. Such an important role that the Nebraska Farm Bureau Foundation is playing. That's Courtney Sharp. She's the Director of Outreach Education for the Foundation. I'm Bryce Duskid reporting from the Nebraska Soybean Board Studio, which is brought to you in part by Nebraska Soybean Farmers and their checkup. Dewey Nelson on the Rural Radio Network. Boy, it was a disappointing finish to the corn, soybean, and wheat markets today. Let's talk about it with John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst with Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago and publisher of the newsletter This Week in Grain. What can you assess from what happened towards the end of the session? Well, I, I, profit-taking has to be the, the simple way to formulate. you got a three-day weekend ahead. Pretty decent weather in the U.S. and now some uncertainty about the China situation again, given the, the North Korea, uh, the cancellation of that North Korean summit. I don't think that has anything to do with what's going to go on in the ag markets, but I think that may be the mood right now. I'm just seeing some selling here in the wheat markets. Soybeans have had a good run. I mean, I should go on vacation more often. Uh, we're up 50 cents in, in soybeans, close to 40 cents in corn, and, and 15 to 20 cents in, in corn. Or, I'm sorry, in wheat, 15 to 20 cents in corn. So maybe it's just me being back in the saddle here, but. Uh, we did hit the high from a year ago on December 18th, so that new crop contract back in, would have been June, early July of last year, made a run up to 428, 429. We hit that level today and really backed off. I think there was just a lot of sales out there, farmers getting caught up, and uh, I would not be selling this market down, though. I, I, I think especially in the corn side, um, there's, there's a run coming, it's just about weather. So we're coming into the end of May. I think we had one of the hottest Mays on record globally, and that usually uh, tends to follow up with a very hot June. And, and I think heat is really what's going to move the market. Uh, I know the precipitation levels are high, but, you know, this market will run on heat. And I look for uh, a bullish USDA report in a couple of weeks, followed by a good hot June and July, and I think that'll get us up in the 440, 450 level before it's all said and done. And that loss yesterday, or should say today, might have occurred a day earlier. We were thinking maybe Friday would be the day. Yeah, I, I thought I was thinking the same thing too. Maybe it wouldn't happen until tomorrow. But given that it really just broke after the Euro European markets closed, I think you know tomorrow's a day where a lot of folks will be out of the office anyway. So, uh, given the runs we've had and really across the board, and I mentioned just over the last week, I stepped back into the into the fray today, and it's like, oh, we got a we got a, a market in wheat that's just incredibly. Uh, hot right now, uh, and I, I really, you know, if you had said, John, where are we going to be when you get back in a week, I would not have said 50 higher on, on, on KC Wheat. I thought the crop looks pretty good, but as I've talked about for, for months now, this global market, and you have problems in Russia, major problems in Australia, and, and right now Argentina's prices are skyrocketing. So uh, the cash markets have, have moved higher with this. I, I think, you know, and maybe we've seen the last of five dollars. I doubt it, but you know, the short term here, we got to get this corn out of the ground or this wheat out of the ground. And down south in Texas, there isn't a lot of it. So maybe we're seeing an early run on the product. John Payne, Senior Marketing Analyst, Daniels Ag Marketing in Chicago. Go to DanielsAgMarketing.com for more information.